In this third lesson in our series on For Me to Live as Christ, we're going to talk about the value of a new identity. In our counseling, we often ask people what identity they're living out of. And if I were to ask you that question, what is your identity? What would come to your mind? You might have based your identity upon your relationships, such as if you're married or unmarried, whether you're a parent or not. Or perhaps you would base your identity on the job that you have. But you know, if you base your perceived identity on any relationship or occupation that's subject to change, then that identity is going to be insecure and undependable. Well, the good news is that in Christ-centered soul care, we want to, to teach and encourage people to accept by faith their new identity in Christ. And that identity is based on grace, and that means that it's positive, secure, and unchangeable. When we think about the difference between our natural identity and our spiritual identity, I'm reminded of a man who came for training over a decade ago. And Ron was raised in a conservative Christian home. His father was a pastor. And yet he didn't know Christ as his personal Lord and Savior till later in life. He had a personal version of the flesh. His upbringing conditioned him toward homosexuality. And as he went along with that gay lifestyle, he got involved in a relationship with a minor that led to him being charged legally for a sex abuse charge against a minor. That landed him in prison. During his prison years, God, like the prodigal son, crowded him to Christ, and he reevaluated his belief system. And as he read the Bible and did correspondence courses, he realized that he needed a personal relationship with God and received Christ as his personal Savior. As he continued to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, God, God renewed his mind, and he realized that he had an identity not based upon his, his sexual orientation or his behavior, but a new identity that was based upon his spiritual new birth. As Ron says, whether a person is born a homosexual or not is a controversy, but when we're born again, we're not born again that way. We have a new nature, so whether... We have heterosexual flesh or homosexual flesh. That's not the issue as much as are we willing to have God make us a new creation spiritually and learn to let him govern our belief system and to live within the boundaries of his design for family and married life. Well, Ron not only grew as a believer and was discipled while he was in prison, but when he was released from prison, he came to Grace Fellowship for discipleship counseling training. And he felt a call in his life to share the message of healing from sexual brokenness with others. And in the over 10 years since then, Ron has developed a ministry called New Heart Expressions. And he's counseled people from around the world to discover the freedom that comes from seeing their identity isn't based upon how our flesh was formed or about what our culture says about us, but it's based upon whether or not we are in Christ. And when Ron found his freedom in Christ, it liberated him so that he was able to have a restored soul. He was able to be married to a Christian woman and have children. And through his experience as a husband and father and as a discipler, God has used him as an ambassador of how other people can find a new identity and freedom in Christ. Now, I don't know what identity you've been living out of, friend, but unless that identity is based on a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, there's going to be that insecurity, that um, independability regarding your inner resources that we often see in counseling. So in this lesson, we have 
Charles Solomon's diagram where he describes through a series of lines, first of all, what it means to be in Adam and then what it means to be in Christ. We touched on that in a previous lesson. Now we want to focus more upon what it means to be in Christ because when we receive Christ, God takes us out of Adam's lineage and grafts us in to Christ just like a, a gardener might graft a branch of a wild um, grapevine into a, a virtuous, healthy grapevine. We're grafted into the life of Christ. In your workbook, you're going to see the question, what is eternal life? Have you ever wondered about that? I think our first initial reaction to what is eternal life is we think, well, it's going to heaven someday. And certainly that is part of the answer. But let's uh, sharpen our pencil a bit and ask the question, whose life is eternal life? You see, the word eternal doesn't just mean that it goes on forever in the future. Eternal also means that it has no beginning. Now, as finite, uh, time-oriented people, that blows our mind, doesn't it? To think of no beginning and no end. But that is the nature of eternal life. And there's only one being in the universe that is eternal in that sense. And, of course, that is God. So eternal life is actually the life of God expressed through the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 17, 3, our Lord Jesus said, This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In 1 John 1, 2, it says that the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father. So we see that eternal life is actually the Lord Jesus Christ expressing divine life. In 1 John 5.11 it says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. It goes on to say, He who has the Son has literally the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So we see in Scripture that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and eternal life has no beginning and no end. It's actually divine life that is above time. It's not time-restricted. In John chapter 8, our Lord was having a conversation with some skeptics, and he said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced prophetically. Now, Abraham lived 2,000 years B.C., so the skeptics said, you're not even, you know, 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. So eternal life is this quality of divine life without beginning, and without end. And that raises the question, if eternal life is God's life, what does it really mean to be in Christ? Well, as Christ came as the last Adam, he came as fully God, but also as fully human. And as he came, born of the Virgin Mary, he did not inherit the sinful nature you and I inherited. He came to seek and to save those who are lost, and he lived a sinless, righteous life. And what was the purpose of Christ? He said he came to seek and to save those who are lost. He said, I've not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So when God puts you into Christ at your salvation, actually, you become joined to his life. And so when Christ was crucified, the old you was also crucified. When Christ was raised, the new you was raised in him. And when Christ ascended, the Bible says, we ascended also. Now that is very profound teaching, isn't it? 
But that's exactly what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, where we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see that through our spiritual union with him, because Christ is the new representative of all those who are saved, we were raised with him spiritually and even seated with him in heavenly places. That's awesome, isn't it? That's part of the good news that we need to unpack and believe because it has tremendous potential as it reveals to us an identity that is positive, spiritual, and unshakable. Well, through our union with Christ, we have a basis, friends, to have these spiritual needs met that are vital to have that abundant, victorious Christian life. And one of those needs we're going to talk about next is the need for assurance. Assurance. What do we mean by that? We mean that when we know Christ as Savior, God also wants us to have confidence that we truly are saved. In other words, it's possible to receive Christ as Savior, to be born again, to have your sins forgiven, and yet to really not be sure that you're in the family. In other words, we can lack assurance. I mentioned that I received Christ as my Savior as a young boy, but due to my preoccupation with my hobbies and other things and my lack of biblical discipleship, in my teenage years, I really started to question and to doubt my salvation. When my parents invited me to go to Bible college for a year to get a foundation for my faith and to address some of my, my faith questions, I welcomed the opportunity. And during that year, getting into the Word of God at an in-depth level, one of the blessings that occurred was I got the assurance of my salvation. The more I have studied this book in the years since, I found that this book is a written miracle that is the basis of assurance for the believer. Why is it important for you and I as Christians to have assurance? Because if you're not confident that Christ is in your life, you're really going to have a difficult time in receiving him to be your actually your source of life. In other words, if you're not sure that Christ is your Savior and Lord, then that's going to hinder you from experiencing him as your life. Assurance is an important blessing that God wants for each of us. Isaiah 12, 2, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. My salvation isn't based on my effort to save myself or to keep myself saved. It's based on God's grace and the finished work of Christ from beginning to end. In John chapter 5, verse 24, we have a, a wonderful statement of assurance. And the Lord has many verily verilies or truly trulys in the Bible. Here's one in John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, eternal life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So he says, most assuredly, you can have the confidence that if Christ is in you and you are in him, then you can have that assurance that you truly do have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. In John 6, 47, he said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who believes on me has, and that's present tense, has everlasting life. You might say, well, why is assurance that important? We know that we have a need to be confident that when we die, we'll go to heaven. How does that affect our grace discipleship process? 
Well, as I said a moment ago, if we don't have the confidence that Christ is our Savior and Lord, it's really going to hold us back from yielding control to him and experiencing him as our life. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now picture a boat that is storm-tossed and, uh, and, and not able to navigate a storm, and yet if it has an anchor that can be put down to keep it secure, that's going to really see it through uh, that severe storm. You know, friends, sometimes we can have mental, emotional, and relational turmoil, and we need an anchor, don't we? We need a source of security. And this verse says that God's word, his salvation, his assurance is like that anchor to our soul. It is sure, it is steadfast. In 1 John 5, verse 13, we have a wonderful verse of assurance which says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, if assurance was based upon my performance or yours, could we ever have assurance? No, we couldn't. Because we wouldn't have the confidence that we could keep ourselves saved or maintain our salvation. But if salvation is by grace through faith, and if it's based upon the promises of God, the Bible says we have exceedingly great and precious promises that really can be an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast. Well, I mentioned that when I went to Bible college, I found that the scriptures gave me the assurance of my salvation. And I trust that as you go through the study, if you have doubts about whether your salvation is assured and secure, that these scriptures will encourage you and renew your confidence. But Charles Solomon mentions in Handbook to Happiness and in this study that there is an important distinction between doubting your salvation and feeling unsaved. In other words, if we have doubts, if our faith is somewhat wavering, if we don't know the basis of our assurance from the Word of God, then we may doubt our salvation. And I think we're all subject to doubts from time to time. Even John the Baptist sent a message to Christ when John was imprisoned, asking, are you the coming one, or should we look for someone else? And John knew, of course, that Jesus was the Messiah, but he had doubts as he languished in that prison before he was martyred. But our Lord sent him word, verifying his identity as the Messiah, Jesus' identity as the Son of God, based on the miracles and the mission that he had. So John was reassured. Friends, you and I can be reassured as well. But part of that is to differentiate doubting salvation versus feeling unsaved. In counseling, we discover that when people are raised in an environment of rejection, if there's not been meaningful love that's been expressed by touch, by words, by uh, parents and siblings that are there to affirm and to encourage, then often we can have emotional results that make us really doubt whether we are acceptable, that we are um, beneficiaries of a salvation of a God who is absolutely holy and just. How could a God who is holy and just really welcome me into heaven? And so we may have emotional feelings of insecurity. Friends, when you differentiate the two, you can realize that God's word does give you assurance. And it's understandable to have some feelings of insecurity. But the Bible says we walk by faith, not by feelings. So we can allow those feelings to be healed as we progress 
in our Christ-centered counseling journey, but just to realize that feelings of insecurity do not jeopardize the assurance of our salvation. A number of years ago, I did a number of lessons and studies on this topic because in Handbook to Happiness, we identify salvation, assurance, and security as foundational blessings that really inspire us to give a deeper sense of commitment to God and also prepare us to understand the full nature of our oneness with Christ. And so I wrote a book called Blessed Reassurance, Finding Security in Christ. And one of the reasons for that project was a counselee who was actually the wife of an evangelist. And as the wife of an evangelist, certainly the plan of salvation would be very prominent in their family. And yet due to various circumstances in her life and her spiritual journey, she really struggled with doubting her salvation. She was in a church that so emphasized the nature of the decision that people were challenged to come forward Sunday after Sunday, but instead of strengthening their assurance, the overemphasis on the wording and the nature of one's sinner's prayer actually caused her assurance to erode more and more. As she went through the counseling process, she discovered that it was different to have a feeling of insecurity versus having the assurance of salvation based on the Word of God. And as she went through uh, the truths that you're learning in this course, God was able to begin healing her damaged emotions and direct her to this deeper message of the cross. And as she discovered her new identity as someone who was one with Christ, then the assurance that had been so elusive became very personal and meaningful to her. We trust that will be your experience as well. Well, if assurance is the confidence that Christ is in our life and that we are headed for heaven, then that leads us to the, the next issue, which is, what is the basis of my security? If assurance is being confident that Christ is in my life today, then security is being confident that he is not going to cast me out of his family tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. In other words, assurance is knowing that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Security is being confident that it won't be erased in the future. We believe the scriptures are clear in that we are to have assurance and security. Now, both of these are based on the finished work of Christ, on God's grace, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, we read that being placed into Christ is not something that we accomplish in our own strength. It's something that God does based on his grace, through his amazing love. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is of him, that's God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So friends, think of it this way. If it is God who placed you into Christ, is anyone more powerful than God to take you out of Christ? The answer is no. Because you are in Christ and he is in you, that is the basis not only of assurance, but also of security. We mentioned in 1 John chapter 5, if you have the Son, you have the life. And we can have this assurance because we can know that we have eternal life. Now, security is really based upon the teaching that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. In Bible times, they would take a cylinder and they would roll it across clay or wax to indicate things like a secure transaction 
or to authorize uh, something like when Christ's tomb was sealed, the Roman government sealed that tomb, and that represented the authority of Rome, that no one was to break that seal. Well, praise God that no one could hold back the resurrected Christ and the angels who rolled that stone away. But the idea here is that a seal is a mark of authenticity, a mark of ownership. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says that when you're in Christ, you have been sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. Isn't that amazing? When the Holy Spirit comes into your life as a true believer, His presence is your mark of ownership. It is your source of authentication that you are truly His. And the Bible says, although we may grieve or quench the Spirit, we are sealed by Him until the day of redemption. What a wonderful promise that we can have security as well as assurance. And the Gospel of John, which was written to make salvation clear and also to give us assurance and security, gives us a wonderful passage in John chapter 10 about our Lord's words of reassurance where he says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Notice the Lord Jesus says, I give unto my people eternal life, a life without beginning, a life without end, a life that's in Christ. He goes on to say, and they shall never perish. So that's assurance and security. It literally says they shall never, ever perish. Security is underlined when he says, that neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What a wonderful statement of security and assurance that God keeps us. And the scripture says that we are the Father's love gift to his Son. So if we are the Father's love gift to a Son when we trust Christ as Savior, wouldn't that convey to you that you are assured, secure, and even accepted in the Beloved One? What a wonderful statement of security. When I was doing research for the book Blessed Reassurance, I came across the story of the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge in California. Back then, it was the longest, most expensive bridge of its kind in the world. But as they began constructing that bridge, the construction fell behind schedule, primarily because if, if they would slip and fall, it would mean certain death. And so because of the risk factor, the construction proceeded at a very slow pace. So they decided to actually build a security safety net underneath the construction zone. Now that safety net cost about $100,000 at the time, but once it was completed, the construction workers knew that they could work with confidence, not risking a fall, which would be a fatal mistake. So with that security, with that assurance, they were able to proceed on schedule and complete the Golden Gate Bridge. In the same way, friends, when you and I have assurance and security, it's not a license to sin. It's not something that um, is to be taken lightly. It's actually a wonderful incentive for us to live a confident, thankful, joy-filled Christian life. When you have assurance and security, it actually motivates us to respond in the words of Romans 12, 1 and 2, to recognize the mercies of God that challenge us to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. 
Now, although our relationship with God is assured and secure, think also about the distinction between relationship and fellowship. For example, if you're a parent and you have a child, nothing is going to change your child's status, be your son or your daughter. However, your fellowship with your child can fluctuate depending upon their obedience, communication, and the quality of your fellowship with them. In the same way, when we receive Christ as Savior, the Bible says we are sons and daughters of God, and nothing can change that. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. 1 John 3, 1. But our fellowship with God definitely fluctuates, doesn't it? We mentioned from Ephesians 4.30 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When you and I sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit because He's holy and He wants what's best for us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Don't quench the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit in you is prompting you to do good works, to help someone else, to share the gospel, to pray, and you say, No, I don't want to, then you're quenching the Holy Spirit. We're quenching Him. We're putting out His fire, so to speak. That doesn't mean that He will leave us or forsake us, but it means that we are hindering our fellowship with Him. In 1 Peter 3, it says that if I, as a husband, do not treat my wife with sensitivity and respect, that my prayers will be hindered. So the Bible says that our fellowship with God does fluctuate, but praise God, our relationship with Him is secure. How do we maintain that fellowship? 1 John 1 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We confess our sins, we're confident of His cleansing, and we know that our relationship with Him is secure. Friends, when we count the blessings of assurance and security, it motivates us to realize that our identity isn't based upon what other people have said, it isn't based upon our own opinion, our new identity is based upon our spiritual union with Christ. And when you base your perceived identity on being in Christ, then that means that you are a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people that belong to God. It means that as a son or daughter of God, you have an identity that is positive and unshakable. And that gives us a sense of dignity, doesn't it? You might say, John, I don't always feel that way. Well, that's true. Our emotions often are lagging behind our faith. But the Bible says we walk by faith, not by feelings. You may have come across discipleship material that distinguishes the need to, to be led by the facts of God's word, and then faith follows fact, then your, your function, and then your feelings follow along. I think of a, a train when I think of that illustration of, of fact and faith and then function and feelings. We are in a tourist town in Pigeon Forge doing this taping, and there's a theme park near us that has an old-fashioned uh, locomotive. And this steam engine built in the 1800s still has the, the steam power where they, they have a, a coal car that shovels in the coal that causes um, that combustion and then the steam causes that steam engine uh, to pull the train. So I can hear that whistle of the steam engine from my office. And so the locomotive represents the fact of God's word the coal car is symbolic of our faith in that fact. And our faith in that fact then brings along our function where we choose to walk in line with what we know is true. 
Now, the last part of a train typically is the caboose. And the caboose will represent your feelings. The caboose follows along, it does not lead. In the same way, friends, we may not feel our dignity. We may not feel like a son or daughter of God. But as we allow the fact of God's word to be the locomotive, as we have faith like the coal car following that fact, as we function, as we walk in the truth of God's word, then just like that, caboose will follow along, so our emotions will eventually be restored and track with what we know to be true. I remember getting a phone call from a Christian lady in Brooklyn, New York years ago, and she described to me in her counseling, which she has since publicly shared in her testimony, that she was abandoned growing up by her father, and when her father left her, it it left her with a, a sense of abandonment and a disconnection from God and a real emptiness in terms of looking for meaning and love and acceptance. Well, she came to know Christ as her Savior, but due to her insecurity, she developed obsessive-compulsive disorder, and no psychologically-based approach was able to rid her her of this OCD compulsiveness. But as she came to know this message that you're studying in the For Me to Live as Christ course, God was able to restore her soul and give her a sense of identity, acceptance, and security which healed her of those OCD symptoms. Cindy went on to create a website called Complete in Christ, based on Colossians 2.10, which says, You are complete in Christ. And when she discovered her assurance and her significance and security in Christ, that her identity wasn't based upon what happened to her growing up or even on some of these psychological issues, but her identity was based on being a daughter of God, that gave her a sense of completeness and wholeness, which was the foundation of a healthy Christian marriage and an effective singles ministry that continues in Brooklyn, New York, called Oasis Outreach. Friends, God wants you to know, likewise, that in Christ you have assurance. In Christ you have security. In Christ you have a positive identity that is unshakable, which is the foundation of a life that is Christ-centered and fruitful. So as you continue in this study, as you discuss it, and as you apply it. May God bless and encourage you with your new identity in Christ.